Hello, and welcome to Birth of Family Church Podcast. We trust that you'll find an encouraging word to strengthen your walk with the Lord. And if you're visiting the area, or if you're looking for a good church home, come check us out at birthedfamilychurch.org. There you can find our location and service times. Thanks again for tuning in. God bless. Pastor Bruce, my wife and I have been pastoring here longer than some of you have been alive. But that's okay, amen? Amen. We just might get it right one of these days. Hallelujah. So we just keep at it. Understand that Birth and Family Church, if you want to kind of put a label on it, we are a Bible church. Uh, We don't do things by a large denomination that tells us what to believe. We get what we believe from the Word of God. And uh, I'm, I'm finding out, when I first got into this, I thought, well, everybody wants to know what God says. And I'm finding out that our culture primarily doesn't. Ouch. So, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't fighting to get here because they don't, they don't want to hear what God wants to say. But you do. I, I said, but you do. Amen. Amen. And so we believe that the Bible is God's book. We believe that he wrote it, that he breathed into man, and they wrote down what he breathed into them. And so this book is not a natural commodity. It's actually a heavenly commodity because it has the potential to release his life and his power into our life. Just, just like you, you get a seed, right? And that seed's dry. It's hard. It, it, it's, it's, it appears to be lifeless. But everything inside of it, if activated, will reproduce itself. And Jesus tells us that the, the word of God is a seed. So right now, you're looking at a book or an app where the, the, the seed is not activated yet. And that's why people think that this is just an ordinary book. Because you can, you can go through it like any other book in the world, and it's, you know, so what? I don't see any life. I don't see any power. Well, you've got to activate the seed. And that's why you've got to begin believing what he says. And we're looking for primarily three things that God says in the New Testament. We're looking to find out what he says about us, who we've become in Christ as a new creature. Number two, we're looking for what he's given us, what he's promised us, what we can have right here in the suite right now, not just what's in the suite to come. And then number three, we're looking for how he wants to use us. And, and, and so we're, we're like different parts of the body, and he uses us all in different ways. But when you put all that together, then you get a, a mighty moving force on the earth. Yes. Amen? Amen? And so what we do when we read the Word of God is we choose to believe it, even though our mind doesn't understand it. Because it's written to our heart, not to our head. Yes. And then we look for ways to activate its life, to activate its power by just simply doing what he tells us to do. Amen? And so uh, that's why we have so much fun around here. Amen. Amen. 
Well, get out your Bibles, get out your apps, and again, don't watch a movie while you're on the Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, if you want to, go ahead, but that's up to y'all. Amen. If we would take a survey of all of Christendom, and, and we would ask them the question, does God have a plan for your life? And I'm, I'm talking about embracing all churches that profess to, to, to be a Christian church, whether it be these large denominations all the way down to birth and family church. Um, does God have a plan for your life? And you know, most believers would, would, would not even consider that he has a, a design, a plan that each one of us is to walk out. We think that God's just there to help us and, to, and for us to live the best life we can on the earth and can't wait till we get to heaven. But you know, that's not the nature of God. God always has a design. God always has a plan. God always has a motive. So he does things on purpose to produce that which he has planned. And so... Truth be told, God has a plan for each one of our lives. And it's more than just punching a clock 40 hours of the week and watching football on the weekends and every once in a while take a two-week vacation. It, it's, it's much bigger than that. I said it's much bigger than that. Now, you may still be punching the clock. You may still be watching football on Sunday. But in there somewhere, there is a plan. There is a design. There is something he has for you. And it's up to us to find out. Amen. Amen? So, go on over to Mark chapter 16. And before Jesus left the earth to sit down at the right hand of God... He told us, the body of Christ, what the plan is for our life. What he created us to do in his place on the earth. And here in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, this is Jesus speaking to, the Bible says in this contents, to his disciples. And a disciple is just somebody who's following God. It's not this office, so to speak. That things that God has for those on the earth serving him is just for the big, you know, the public type people that you see. But he has a place for every one of us. Amen. Now look here. He says, I want you, and, and now receive this personally. He's instructing you, he's instructing me to go into all the world. Wow, that's, that's kind of a big thing to do, don't you think? Yeah. Come on. I'm supposed to go into all the world? What, what am I doing out there? You're going to preach the gospel, the good news, to every creature. It, it would be better to say to every generation. You know, we've got to teach the gospel to every generation that rises up. Amen. I think right now on the earth we have a generation that hasn't heard what God has said through the word of God.
And he says when you do that, the person that believes and is baptized will be saved, and, and the one that does not believe uh, shall be separated from that goodness, shall be separated from God in terms of being in a lifeless place. He'll be damned. There, there's a whole lot more that we could say about that, but that really isn't our focus this morning. I want you to know that to, to boil this down in its simplest form so that I can understand it, how is he going to fulfill this plan? He's telling us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when you and I sit down with Jesus, he's going to talk to us about that. So I need to know how can I fulfill that, me personally. Well, I broke it down to this. To fulfill this great commission, there's two types of people. You've got the goer who actually physically goes into all the world. And then you have those that rally behind what they're doing and supports them and becomes a sender. So let's boil down how to accomplish what God has commissioned us to do and say that we have to have goers and we have to have senders. Does that make sense to anybody? All right. Now, this means that now the the goer is now dependent on whom? The sender. And guess what? The sender is dependent on who? The goer. Come on. Right? And God calls that a partnership. Everybody say partnership. Let me give you kind of an outline of this partnership that we're in, whether we realize it or not. Anytime the Lord commissions us to represent him on the earth, each of us has a part to play. Number two, our roles are different, yet equally important. I said equally important, and that's that we, we've got to get that. What you do is important. And number three, each partner must do their part for the work to be accomplished. So someone can't just simply go, and you can't just simply send if you don't have someone to send. It's all working together. Now, I'm really not a legal guy, but I have a legal definition of what a partnership is. A partnership is a legal contract entered in by two or more persons in which each agrees to furnish a part of the capital and the labor for a business enterprise and by which each shares a fixed proportion of profits and losses. Now that's not too hard to understand. We get into a business, we're now an equal partnership, we all do our work, and then we all get to receive what it produces. 
Doesn't that sound fair? Now, if we equate that over to this partnership that we have in fulfilling God's mission or great commission on the earth, this is what this partnership boils down to. Whatever blessings, rewards, and increase come to the ministry who is the goer, so whatever the goer produces, the goer goes to do what? To, to, to make disciples, to, to get people saved. He's preaching the gospel, making known this opportunity everybody has to have eternal life. Now, everyone that, that he is successful in reaching and everything that he does out there as he has gone to do, then the same blessings, the same rewards, and increase come to the partners who sent them to go. Now, I'm not sure that we really have been taught that. Somehow, I think we've gotten this idea. Maybe it's just me. But we've gotten this idea, well, you, you missionaries, you go do what you do. I'm going to be here. I'm going to do what I do, and I'll see you in heaven. And I think we've lost sight that God really put us into a partnership with those who go. And when we find those that we are to support and to, and to you know, undergird them with prayer, undergird them with resources, undergird them in any way that the Lord leads, that now we are, in essence, by proxy, we are now a goer. Even though we're still here in Berthud, Colorado. In, in, in the name Berth, it's so interesting. You can pronounce it so many different ways. When I first came to town, you had to say Berthoud. Berthoud. And then it was Berthud. And then it was Brother. <laughs> Just say it real fast so you don't really have to pronounce it. But you know, have you ever thought, I mean, have you ever let this realization come to your mind that in supporting someone who goes, it's as if you're there. Because remember, Jesus told every one of us to go into all the world. Yes. Amen. Sometimes I don't think that we realize that we can go by sending someone else to go. Yes. Or supporting someone Amen. who has gone. Yes. How, many, how many of you are with me? You, you, you get, you, are you connecting the dots? Go on over to 1 Samuel and let's see this in a practical testimony from Scripture. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and this might be in that part of your bible if you're looking at a hard copy where the pages are still stuck together you know this isn't really a place that we travel to very often here at bfc first samuel chapter 30 verse 8 and this is the story about david it says in verse 1 that it happened when david and his men came to ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. And when they did attack this city of Ziklag, they burned it with fire. Aren't they nice people? 
And not only did they burn all the property, not only did they burn the whole town down to the ground, but they took captive, verse 2, the women and those that were there from small to great, that means everybody, yet they did not kill anyone, but they just kidnapped them, took them all away, and they, and they went and left. So here, verse 3, you see, David and his men were out taking care of business, and then they come back to the city, and verse 3 says that when they came to the city, there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, sons, daughters had been taken captivity. So, right now, the boys are in dire strait. Can you just imagine coming home one night and there's the house burned to the ground and you can't find your family or your dog? All gone. Well, David, as you and I should do, he inquired of the Lord. How do you want me to handle this? What do you want me to do? I mean, you know that if you follow what the Lord tells you to do, then you're empowered to do it. But if Bruce does what he wants to do, guess who's empowered to do it? Just me. God's looking down going, okay, good, <laughs> good luck. Right? So David was in the habit of always asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him to pursue that army that had destroyed your city and, and kidnapped everybody. And the Lord says, you'll recover all. Look here in 1 Samuel 39, excuse me, chapter 30, verse 9. So after getting direction from the Lord, he went, he and 600 men. So understand that David's army was 600. We don't know how big the army was that came and spoiled their city. And they came to the brook Bezar, and there stayed those that left behind. So they, they separated the group of 600. Let's see how that worked out. Verse 10. So some stayed, and David pursued he and 400 men. So the 600 is now windled down to 400. You've got 400 that are going on to pursue those that stole what they had, and there's 200 that are staying behind. And it says that they were so weary, they couldn't cross the brook. So I want you to see, right here we have a separation. And I want you to visualize this, that now we have 400 goers and 200 senders. Put, put, put that thought in what's taking place in this, in this story. So David pursued with 600 men, but, excuse me, pursued with 400 men, and 200 stayed behind. Verse 16. And when they had brought him down, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of the great spoil which had taken it from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And so understand that this band of 
bandits, I suppose we could say. All they did, they were probably nomads that just went around attacking people and taking their goods. And so here they are in this valley, and they had just got a, a great spoil, and now they're enjoying all of that. And here comes David in verse 17. It says, Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Well, that's just about 24 hours. And it says, Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So understand that this army that they were fighting was at least 400. It doesn't say how many they killed. Could we dare say that they killed another 400 and there was 800 of them in this band? So 400 took it to 800. Or at least we could say a larger amount than they were. So the odds were against them, but it says they defeated them. Now check this out, verse 18. So David recovered all. How much? How much? All. That had been carried away. And not only that, David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking. Meaning they, they didn't they didn't fail to recover anything, either great or small. They recovered sons and daughters and, and the spoil or anything which they had taken from them. And then it emphasizes it in the last part of that verse 19 that David did what? Recovered all. So here we have 400 men that recovered all that the enemy had stolen from them. And now they're in the same situation that the, the bandits were in. They got all this spoil. Now you understand, they didn't, just they didn't just get the spoil they had gotten that was stolen from their city, but these guys were out raiding everywhere. Who knows how much they had? How many critters? How many people they had kidnapped? So it's, it's a great amount of people and commodities that they had recovered. So 400 recovered it. Whose spoil is it? Who now owns what they recaptured? Well, in my mind, the 400. Right? Because they are the ones that did what? They, they're the ones that actually did it. They're the ones that put themselves in harm's way. <clears throat> they're not back there at the brook, you know, drinking pina coladas. Check how this unfolds. Now remember, we're talking about partnership. I said we're talking about partnership. You with me? Still in chapter 30. Are you looking at verse 21? When David came to the 200 men, these are the guys that were left behind. They had been too exhausted to go with them, and they had been left at the, the Wad of Azur. They came out to meet him, 
and to meet the troops with him. When David approached the men, he greeted them. But I guess, you know, part of this 400 group that was with David are described in verse 22 as corrupt and worthless men. Ouch, I, I don't want to be in that group. But all the corrupt and worthy men among those who had gone with David urged. Now he's talking to the 200 left behind. He says, because you didn't go with us, we will not give any of the plunder we received to them, except we're going to give you back your wife and children. Pretty generous. And then they say to the 200, just take it and go. Now look what David does. Verse 23. But David said, my brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. What was the perspective of the 400 men that recovered the spoil? They thought they did it. They thought they did it. Notice David brought it to their attention. Look what the Lord has given us. Look what the Lord has done for us. Look how the Lord gave us the victory. You know, you and I having that perspective in life can really help us. I mean, just by virtue of my heart beating all the time and me being able to breathe in a breath is a gift from God. Amen. Amen. If we begin to have that perspective, it'll get us through some times when things are going really good and times when things maybe not be going so good. Amen. I can't take any glory for any success. But that's a whole other sermon. So here we go. You must not do this. Here's the reason. You can't withhold from the 200 because it's the Lord who gave it to us. He protected us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to what you're proposing? Who can, who can do that with that understanding? Now look at this. The share of the one who goes into the battle, the one who goes to the mission field, is to be the same. The share is to be the same as the one who remains with the supplies, the sender. You see that principle in play here? They will share equally. So in the same way that David is saying that whatever those who are sent go out and accomplish, it's going to be shared by with those who remain. Because they're working in a partnership. 
I said they're working in a partnership. Understand that these 200 that were left behind took all of the other 400's extra goods because you understand they're traveling to eat every day, to, to camp every day. They got all sorts of supplies. They had to lighten their load to go fight the battle. The 200 were keeping all that for them. So they could go to battle. Do you see the partnership? And plus they were keeping their possessions safe. So it says that that which the goers accomplish is to be shared equally for those who sent them. Now check this out, verse 25. And so it has been, or so has this been established from that day forward. David established this policy. What is this policy? The policy of partnership. Of going and those sending. It's become a policy as a law and ordinance for Israel, and it continues to this very day. Hallelujah. So, in wrapping this up this morning, according to the Word of God, partnership in ministry means that whatever blessings, whatever whatever rewards, whatever increase comes to the ministry for the work that it does or accomplishes, the same blessings, rewards, and increase come to the partners who help to accomplish the work. And the reason we're talking about this is that I think all of us need to realize that number one, we are fulfilling the Great Commission. Each one of us is going into all the world, either as a goer or a sender. And with it comes blessings and also a reward. Let me tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Every month, we as a partnership, we as a church, and I'm going by last year's figures, we gave a little over 15% of our income to support seven missionaries and three international ministries. And then this year, we increased it. I said this year we increased it. So right now, when you give your tithe and when you give an offering to this church, we take 15% of it and it goes right out into the world. And so you are a sender. I said you are a sender. Because we are a partnership. And what we're doing in supporting the missionaries, we're doing it as a church, as a collective body. Remember, you guys are the church, Amen. not this building. Come on. And I want you to recognize that. But I also want you to start using your faith 
to get the blessing from what you're doing. Amen? So, the goer, you know, I don't want to say this. Right now, even though you're here, there's someone representing you there in the world. And they couldn't be doing all that they're doing without your support. You understand, many of these missionaries can't get a visa to work. They can't, they can't produce a living over there. They, they, can't, they, they don't have permission by the governments to do that. And so they are totally dependent on us, the sender. Amen. Come on. And so what I wanted you to see this morning, that you are going into all the world, you are pleasing to the Lord, and when you sit down with Jesus on the other side, he's going to talk to you about that. Amen. And because you were doing your part and because you were a sender, there will be an eternal reward. You're going to get the same reward that the missionary gets. Yes. Amen. And you didn't even leave town. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Amen. So, the reason we're having this service this morning is because because the Lord told me He says I, I He showed me He says you need to give the people a report, the yeah. congregation, not every Sunday, maybe not even every month, but we'll just see how the Lord leads me. But I wanted to, to read to you what the missionaries are sending back to us in terms of what they're accomplishing on the mission field. And it's really awesome. If the Lord gives me the liberty, I'm going to share a little bit. We actually have two missionaries that we're supporting, uh, one in Hungary, one in Romania. And I didn't realize this, but those two nations border uh, the Ukraine. And right now they're being flooded with refugees that are uh, running from that war zone and flooding into those countries. And so I just, I just want to set you up to this principle of ministry or mission partnership. That it's a very real thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a, the, the, the principle of it is so awesome. Because the goer is doing the things that they're doing by the grace of God. And you and I are able to send them by the grace of God. And because of that, we have an equal blessing and an equal reward. Let's pray. Father. I want to thank you this morning for this principle of partnership. Oh, hallelujah. You've, you've given us a mission, and part of that mission is to go into all the world. And obviously, we can't all go. Because if all would go, there'd be none to send. And so thank you for showing us which one we are. And thank you for giving us opportunity 
to, to be a generous sender. And Lord, I'm asking that you'd help each one of us to see how important every individual is. In the same way, every cell in our body is important. So is every member of the body of Christ. We all have a function. We all have that which we can do to bring our supply to the body. And I, I, wanna, I want us to just embrace that we're being obedient and following you as we support missions all over the world. Therefore, I say these people are blessed. And I say that you have a reward awaiting them. In Jesus' name, amen.